This podcast is part of the Big Data Beards virtual race to Splunk.com. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash Big Data Beard or simply visit BigDataBeard.com and click virtualracetoconf. You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Well, welcome everybody to today's Big Data Beard podcast. This podcast is part of the virtual race to.conf. And today's race, if you're able to check it out, it was at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, sponsored by our friends at Red River Technology, where we hosted uh, some great folks from Red River talking with us during the broadcast. But today's podcast, we're going to jump into a security topic with Brian Clark. He's a security subject matter expert in design engineering for Red River Technology. Brian, welcome to the Big Data Beard podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. You know, we're super excited to have co-sponsored this event with Dell. Uh, it was really cool to see the logos and everything on the cars. You guys did an amazing job with that. It's fun to drive it, even though I crashed out, I think. But, you know, it happens, I guess, just as long as it doesn't happen in real life. That's right. Well, that's you the aren't the only one, by the way. <laughs> I think everyone has crashed out at least once. Yeah, Brett's American uh, Pride BMW may or may not have met a wall or two. Uh, it happens. It looked good doing it, though. It won, though. The wall lost. That's right. <laughs> well, Brian, before we jump into some of the security topics, I'd love to just get kind of your background and, and, and how you ended up becoming a, an SME in security. What kind of led you here? Oh, for sure. Well, you know, my, I was raised by my grandparents and it, they were uh, institutional in, in some things. So my grandfather... Uh, retired after 27 years with IBM. Uh, he was a VP in the Manassas facility when he retired. So I grew up with, you know, 8086s and 8088s in my house. And I thought everybody had a computer uh, until one day I, I had a conversation about it and we were going over computers in school and people were seeing a computer for the first time in my class. And I said, this is really weird. Um, I got two floppy disks. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had the... I remember having the first 386 on the block and then upgrading, you know, over time. And I think we split off from the Intel side of things and, and got our first 686. That was big. Ooh, big time. And uh, my my buddy across the street had a Pentium. And, man, that Pentium was flying. And uh, it was just interesting times in the computing industry. So, you know, with that, I, I remember I had my first uh, OCR scanner, which we take for granted the ability to scan things these days. But back then, if you wanted to scan text and get it in off of paper and get it into usable format, you'd have to have this object character recognition scanner and a card in your computer. Yeah. People don't even remember those days. Oh. And I'm, I know I'm dating myself. I'm not even 40 yet. Uh, so, Dude, uh, well, I don't feel bad. I'm literally listening to you going, no, I remember that. My dad was <laughs> my dad was in all those things. Like, I can remember this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, just I used that OCR scanner to scan the phone book, and I created a dial directory because I had learned about bulletin board systems. So that really led me down a path of, of – information overload and what do I do with this? How do I catalog this information and how do I use it to my advantage? Bulletin boards were free if you could get on them. They always had fun things like the game Zork. Uh, well, 
uh, one day I dialed into the wrong bulletin board and I was playing Zork and I had I had every combination I was trying down and I was writing them down and trying different combinations inside the game. I found a interesting combination and that led to uh, welcome to a three-letter agency. Please insert your credentials. And uh, so uh, follow a little bit later down the road, I end up uh, going into the army for uh, certain reasons. And I was a information systems analyst. Uh, and really that was before uh, the word hacker or ethical hacker was even thought about. They just called us information systems analysts. Uh, and they, you went to work for the army hacking into whatever they needed me to do. So it was a very interesting time for sure. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about that that idea of ethical hacker because that that feels like an oxymoron. Uh, but but I'm curious, just why don't you unpack what does that mean? Like, where, what does it mean then? What does that mean today? And what are the, are those folks like employable? Is that something you put on your resume? What does it actually mean? Yeah, actually, it, it definitely is an employable status, and and they have a high level, very detailed uh, certifications now around it. Uh, you can actually be a certified ethical hacker. Uh, you can be an OCSE, which is the the very big uh, hacking test that kind of builds on the itself. That you you start with one box and you compromise it, and then you keep moving. And if you can't continue compromising your way through, you won't pass the exam. So. Back in the day, hacking and ethical hacker, no, it wasn't really a cool term. Hacking period wasn't really an accepted measure. Uh, you know, that there was no United States, you know, state-sponsored hacking of other countries that was, you know, talked about. It was it was definitely occurring, but it's not how we talked about it, right? Um, so it, it became into everybody was into what is their vulnerability? Let's get a vulnerability assessment. But that was that was one thing. But actually breaking into systems and using these vulnerabilities against the systems is what we started with back then. And a lot of times it was uh, training and not just like actually hacking, but we spent a lot of time just doing, uh, you know, verbal meet and greets and social engineering where it was, let's get in the building. Let's, let's get some data. Let's get into a meeting that we don't belong in uh, and then give that report to some, some sort of high level, you know, GS or, or, you know, uh, generally one, two star style interview process where we're, where they wanted an assessment of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, can you get data out of my environment? Uh, it was so easy. A, a kid could do it. And, and that's where we learn from a lot of these trainings that companies go through now where they say, don't let people tail you. Don't talk about work. Don't wear your badge. Just simple stuff like that. That was very, very simple back then. If you had a real high quality printer, man, you could make a badge and it would look great. So I re- remember reading uh, Kevin Mitnick's book about, you know, the whole what he was doing back then. And, and it was all about social engineering at that time. Now, what we've evolved into is actual, you know, offensive, you know, information gathering or hacking as they call it from other countries. Right. And so that, that's where it's morphed to. It is, there's a new training program within the air force and the army. It's uh, 52 weeks long. They start, take you from, you know, just out of high school and turn you into, into a hacker. It is huge in the industry now. You've heard of the penetration test. You've heard of the vulnerability assessment. Well, this takes it to just a whole different level. And and that's what we were doing back then. And, and we just never talked about it, right? It was it was not something that 
the, the you know everybody was like yeah i'm a hacker no nope. we didn't talk about that stuff <laughs> <laughs> well i mean um, i'm curious from from a, like you know a lot of times the folks that you know that we talked to we're super into the data side we're you know more it practitioners and so i'm not sure how like familiar folks are with security and some of the the threats that we face today but i'm curious you talked a couple times about kind of state sponsored um you know hacking activities why well, you know tell me a little bit about what like when you think about state sponsored do you do you think about like that it's it's threats to america it's america threats to other people like what is the state of current state sponsored hacking do you think well i mean that's that's both uh, both offensive and defensive, right? So from a defensive perspective, the government organizations and, and your, uh, you know, your uh, government entities need to know what their vulnerabilities and where their risk is. So it's morphed these days into the annual compliance requirements that's out there. So there's a compliance requirement within the government now to do a yearly penetration test on every system that you have uh, an ITO on, right? Or, or an ATO. So the that need came from folks like myself and others in the in the organization, you might call it, that would just kind of go at these things, right? And then present a report. We weren't asked to. It was just kind of our job. And if you were working for this organization, you just you know kind of go play around in the sandbox, as you might call it, and then give information to those that needed it. Uh, we find that. We didn't always have the best coders, for instance. You know, there was a situation where we found like over 2,000 instances of the same password being used in an application. And we were able to get that out of a badly coded uh, HTTP page, right? So, you know, and then we were go able to pivot from there, got back into the database, started inserting things. We put this photo of a of the uh, the person in charge sitting on a duck and somewhere and was like, hey, look at what we did. Um, so... <laughs> You can have fun with it at least. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what it what it teaches a security guy and what it means for for the industry really is there's a there's a different mindset of the network guy or even the network security guy that comes up and just knows how to do firewalls, right? Knows how to put blocks in place and knows how to configure maybe an intrusion prevention system. A hacker or or an ethical ethical hacker always has a mindset of there is a way. I haven't found it yet and I will exhaust every resource possible to try to figure it out. Uh, because I know in the end I will find a way, right? Wow, that's quite an attitude. <laughs> it, it can be, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, looking at 2020 and you know, with with the pandemic and really the associated shift in a large portion of the workforce moving and becoming remote, you know, this has created such a, a you know a much wider attack surface, right? Um, what are some of the best practices that you are guiding security practitioners to consider, you know, in this 2020 state? Absolutely. So one of the things we're talking about is the expanse of the basically of the entire, you know, corporate environment and the corporate security controls that we have out there. So we've been talking with our customers about how we secure the remote, the remote worker. Uh, a lot of our our vendors, which has been great, have come up with these amazing opportunities for for customers. Some of them were even free. You know, it's like we have no idea how long COVID's going to last. You know, here's a bunch of I think Cisco had a Meraki offering that was uh, I want to say it was dirt cheap and it was like, here's a, you know, firewall with intrusion prevention and anti-malware and, and sandboxing, put it in front of your, or right behind your, your remote workers, ISP and give yourself some sense of security uh, because that was what we were starting seeing. A lot of our customers have what you call non-split tunnel VPNs. So their mindset was, I'm going to send all the traffic across and, and now we've got, you know, both 
corporate assets and non-corporate assets joining the VPN because let's face it, not everybody had a laptop at every company that could take their laptop and go home. Right. Uh, so there's been a lot of uh, a lot of that. And then a lot of our security wasn't sized properly. Uh, we helped the state of New Hampshire with the, the week that they sent everybody home, the firewalls crashed, like literally crashed. Yep. Uh, and and that's that's what we've seen is there wasn't capacity planning for for everybody to go home. There wasn't how do we how do we move our thought process outside of the building and say okay our risk exposure is now this big, uh, so, you know that was that's big and then how do I how do I patch systems when it's out there you know that there there were pushed a 256 meg patch the other day and the, you know the VPN was no good for half the day, uh, so those things happened right you got to continue to update systems the the shift is now we might not bring these people back, right? So yeah. how, how, what do we do now? Where, where, what do we do from a security standpoint? So, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, a, a on-box solution, right? Your, your additional like CrowdStrike, something like that, uh, you know, that, that manages the endpoint and keeps track of the endpoint. You also have, you know, are we gonna, are we gonna really ship 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 mini firewalls with, with all these capabilities out there? Or are we gonna still, cause the, the, thing that we're hearing is we can't keep these full tunnels up. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, I have to ask the question, like, is 2020 finally the year of VDI? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, that's a, that's a solid question. Um, and, and that brings up, okay, if I'm going to VDI and I'm going to have high quality VDI, you need a pipe for that. Right. So am I now going to start paying for every employee's internet connection? That's, that's a big topic coming up for 2021. Like as we move into, um, changing the, changing the, the policy at certain companies, it's okay. Now are we going to start paying, paying for internet pipes and not just small ones, but I mean, you're talking some of the, you have video full video enabled video conferencing on over these things. It's, it's going to chew up some bandwidth. So, well, I mean, you shift in dollars from uh, investments in commercial real estate to, to ISP service providers. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah. Big data beard. Is that going to be something that we're going to get paid for next year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we streaming now? I'm curious though. Like when you think about that, like it's, starts to spread out like you, your your network your surface area is spreading out you know you, you got to be able to have like a process that you the team at red river when you talk to an organ organization that they engage with you like what does the engagement look like when red river reaches out and says hey we're we need help building a you know more secure environment for this this kind of remote workforce we need to build in the security we need to en enable some of this more intensive compliance activities what does that engagement look like and what are some of maybe the services uh, and things that you guys do to come alongside your customers for sure so we have an assessment service that we've we've worked on this year in fy20 that we we're seeing high success on so we come in and we look at your your risk vector from or what i call the, the threat scape uh, so some people call it the threat landscape i just just make it one word it's the threat scape uh, so we look at avenues and areas where now that you have a remote workforce you're going to increase your risk and we talk to them about where that what level of security and to what point uh, or or what efficacy they want to decrease the risk of, of what they have going on. So we, we have a conversation around uh, what are you using on box? So what kind of endpoint solutions do you have? Because as we're still kind of BYOD in these environments, we want to have an endpoint system. How do we push it? How do you manage it? Um, you know, if I drop an endpoint on your BYOD laptop, is that now a managed system as far as inventory goes? So how does that affect for our government agencies 
yes, there are some government agencies that can't give PIV cards right now, but they're giving people VPN access. It's interesting. So yeah, right. Uh, so we have that conversation of how do we how do we you know increase your security posture, decrease your risk, and what is now your exposure? Because uh, some of our customers are also having to increase their uh, insurance policies for cyber, uh, and that's that's having a whole other thing, right? So it, um, again, it's, it's the assessment services that we offer. We we have conversations around our import protection. We talk about uh, protecting the pipes, secure VPN tunnels, things like that, and then proper uh, identification and authorization of users. Uh, is this a corporate asset? Should it be getting into the into the VPN? There's some customers that don't allow BYOD, but they never move to certificate-based authentication. They're only using AD username and password. Well, that means if I use my personal laptop and I install AnyConnect on it and I log in, uh, AnyConnect is a VPN solution, and I just put in my username and password, it's getting on the network. And now this BYOD asset is on my network with a full pipe into the environment. And I'm bringing any malware and any any viruses that might be on this thing. So that's that's another big avenue where we where we're talking with customers is securing securing just your VPN links, um, and and making sure that you know what's coming in is safe. And then you know it's good. They they're asking the questions. Hey, we had a malware infected machine infecting other uh, seg other machines on the same VPN segment. And how do we stop that? So that's that's come up twice now uh, with full tunnel VPNs, where this this malware infection machine is now causing issues. How do we how do we you know what do we do? What do we do? You know, and then customers calls and you know there's they're they're almost pseudo down because now they're a remote environment and it's like a self denial of service. Wow. Yeah. So so one of the things that you know we're we're doing as part of this uh, this racing series is obviously partnered with Splunk. They're kind of the title sponsor, and I'd I'd be curious to get your perspective on, you know, their their value proposition and kind of what you hear their executives talk about is they bring data to every decision, you know, question, decision, and action. Mm -hmm. And in the security context, I have to imagine that you know having access to uh, data is clearly very important in, in how you make these decisions. So I'd be curious to hear how you know how is Red River partnering with Splunk to specifically help ch solve some of these security challenges? Yeah, for sure. We, we call it actionable intelligence. Uh, the, the data that these, that our customers get need to be something that if a user is going to spend five minutes on, they can find something quick enough that they have this actionable intelligence that gives them something to work from or take an action, right? It, it, data without, without correlation, such as what Splunk can bring. So we, we send we try to get all of our customers to work towards sending their data to Splunk using some of the security dashboards that are out there from a, a free perspective or, or even offered perspective from other, other companies. They seem to, if we can get the data there, we can get it into a pane of glass that they can use. And that's what we, that's what we preach is that, you know, the days of logging into your firewall or logging into your network access control head end are over. We need to move this into a single pane of glass where you can get this actionable intelligence that allows you to do more with less within your environment and actually focus on the things that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, as we've talked about the you know, the network is expanding, not only with the work from home, uh, you know, context, but also with just the explosion of IoT and the, you know, instrumentation of things uh, in a way that's just, you know, as we've seen, the cost of componentry to build this capability goes down, the desire to build more intelligence into everything we have. How do you see Splunk helping 
handle and deal with the network uh, surface area as we start to think about the IoT explosion? Oh, man. So I, I look at the IoT explosion as everything in the IoT world has an identity. Uh, and I think I, I want to I want to capture this in in inside of Splunk. So one of the cool dashboards I've seen recently is it, the uh, hardware asset inventory dashboards. And we through the use of Splunk, we were able to provide our customers with hardware asset inventory that has the asset tag, the host name, if it has it, the username, their authentication status, and then depending on their and what the authentication method is, possibly their access control status. So, you know, which which uh, ACL we've applied or what they, you know, what group they fall under. Also, we're starting to get data on, uh, you know, what they're connecting to. So, you know, we're, we're now able to say, well, that's an iPhone or a watch uh, or something else. And we, we get that information from them. So Splunk is allowing us to send this data in from a couple different sources and then correlate it and actually put these dashboards together for our customers to show, well, what is what did Sally really bring to work today? How many devices does Sally have? Uh, and, and you know, the customers used to think, oh, everybody has two, three devices. It's getting to the point where it's more like five, six. Um, <laughs> and it's I think it's just going to grow. I mean, you know, I've got I mean, think about it. You've got an Apple Watch. You got an Apple phone. I've got an iPad that I carry with me. I bring two laptops everywhere I go. You know what's what's next? Oh, I, my uh, headphones—they're they can connect to the Wi-Fi because it has the built-in uh, radio thing in my headphones. It's crazy. I, I mean, it's all it's all going that direction. And yeah. and what Splunk allows us to do is is then is really correlate the information together and and like I said, give the customers actionable intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, as we start to think about the, you know, maybe the next year ahead, kind of the next 12 months, and you can put your, you know, your kind of vision hat on, what are some of the uh, the trends in, in the security space that you're watching most closely that you think, you know, are going to be really important to, uh, to, to the government organizations you serve, but also that, you know, Splunk and Red River are going to be going after in terms of uh, solving challenges that are ahead of us? Yeah, so right now, our customers are really big in talking about zero trust and and this new fancy term called SASE or service service access security edge, and uh, I might be wrong on that, but it's SASE. We just call it SASE. <laughs> and uh, so it's it was coined by Gartner, and it it it's, talks about we want to move everything outside of boxes, and in it should all just live in the edge. But it 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 believes in in almost a a thought process of there's not going to be data centers anymore. But I mean, it's really always somebody else's data center, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you think of it that way. It's it's zero trust, and that's yeah. that's the brunt of it. Is that we want to our customers to to be able to to get that kind of you know protection, and and think of it from a zero trust perspective, to where you know they they get more. And they their security posture is is increased from it. So, but it's a it's a tough it's a tough call, right? Just getting identity out of some customers is a problem, right? Getting matching identity to a geo location is a whole different topic. Uh, you know, those are those are big undertakings for a lot of organizations. Yeah. So, Conf is right around the corner. We're only just a mere, I think, less than less than a week away. What are you most excited for for Conf this year? Oh man, uh, that's a good question. It's going to be my first one, uh, so I'm always 
Yeah, you, this is my first podcast for 2020. So even me, I was a little like sweaty before. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, you know, just to, I think there's ways that I think I can use Splunk in my daily operations with customers that I'm just not thinking about. To go back to that whole, like, I, I haven't figured it out yet. I, I, I haven't figured out 100% how I how to use Splunk at every customer and, and how, how I, I can, you know, move pivot from let's get away from syslog and move into something that can do this. Uh, so I want to learn more about how to have that conversation and how to, how to get more customers to adapt to this because a, it makes my life easier and, and B, you know, whenever I can give them something that shows immediate ROI, it, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's one of those you know conferences. We obviously are huge fans every year. I think one of the things I I like most about dot conf is that you know more than fifty percent of the sessions are actually delivered by uh, not vendors, but by actually by you know practitioners and in industry using Splunk. You know across you know, a variety of use cases from security to IT to you know observability and and uh, IoT. So it's a it's a great conference this year being virtual. Obviously, it allows a lot more people to access it. And if you haven't registered yet, you can uh, register at conf.splunk or yeah conf.splunk.com for free and uh, check out the sessions. We'll actually be giving a session uh, in the uh, Splunk for You track about the virtual race to .conf. And I encourage everybody if you haven't checked out the races, be sure to head over to bigdatabeard.com forward slash vr2c. Or check out YouTube and simply search for Big Data Beard or go to youtube.com forward slash Big Data Beard and check out the races. All the races will be streamed there uh, at 5 p.m. in local time of the track each day in the 10 days leading up to the conference. And again, today's race was sponsored by our friends at Red River. Well, Brian, before we let you go, I want to uh, have a quick chance to catch up with you about Rapid Fire. We've learned a lot about our guests today, but now it's time to get a bit more personable in a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Brian, let's jump into this. So what has been the most productive thing you've done during COVID? Most productive thing I've done during COVID? Well, um, I had a lot of time to work on the race cars, that's for sure. Uh, so been working on that. I've been doing a lot of data review. Uh, and trying to work on, you know, what I'm going to be focusing on when we get back to the track this weekend. Oh, very nice. Very nice. What book would you recommend to our listeners? Oh man, I'm big into lit RPG. So I would check out the, the series, the land by Alaron Kong. And if you can't read it, at least do it on audible. It's definitely good. Uh, narrated by Nick Podell. Yeah, Audible's a, a big thing for the Big Data Beer team, that's for sure. Huge, Huge fans of that. <laughs> so what shows are you binging on right now? I'm running out of shows. Uh, my, Amen. My <laughs> wife and I, uh, it wasn't my choice. I pick one, she picks one. So right now we're, we're doing uh, Gossip Girl. Uh, I've never watched it. Uh, so that's what we're on right now. You can't run out of shows if you watch The Office continuously over and over and over. Just pro tip right there. <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> what is your favorite piece of technology right now? My favorite piece of technology right now is that I can't find the remote, and uh, I always have one on my cell phone. So it's pretty fancy. Oh, that is awesome. pretty handy. Hey, yeah. I meant to tell you this, Brian. You've got to check out, as, a, as somebody that's into racing and data, You've got to check out this company called Apex Pro. I have it in my car, actually. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a Birmingham company. That I mean, you talk about cool. That's real time feedback. That's yeah. I talk to that, Andrew all the time. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Just picked man. up a Garmin Catalyst as well because I'm 
I'm nerdy, so like I got to have all the data. I love it. Race, racing and data come together. That's right. That's when it's good. All right. So when you're going to be able to travel again, right, when, when things open up and you can travel freely again, what's the first place you're going to go? So we have a, a house that we uh, Airbnb most of the time down in Florida, and we have not seen it since COVID. So I am excited to get back down there. The governor down there just opened it, the whole state back up. So I would really love to get down there, but it's not looking too good before uh, in 2020 still. Where in Florida is it? Uh, Sarasota. Okay. Very nice. Well, hopefully 2021, you get down there. Weather's still going to be pretty nice. That'd be nice. You can enjoy it, yeah. And then where can our audience find you on social media? Oh, social media. So I would say that most of my social media is made around uh, racing cars. So our my social media is let's underscore go underscore racing 365. And uh, so we focus on getting some great content out there. uh, And that organization is I actually own the trademark. Let's go racing. That's awesome, man. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, as uh, as this this uh, conversation has been part of the virtual race to .com, Brian, it's good to have a fellow gearhead on to talk about how Red River is uh, bringing uh, value to customers and helping them solve security challenges. Again, I encourage everybody to check out the uh, the virtual race to .com broadcast. Just head over to bigdatabeard.com forward slash vr2c and tune in to all the racing action. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. Thank you for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast on our virtual race to .conf 2020. For more information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk, Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow, and McLaren.